Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. Five and three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome once again to our humble podcast studio here humble. in West Point, okay. Mississippi. Ever, it's, you can hear what? the Dudley Phelps Christmas album. Are you doing another Christmas with album, Dudley? Like, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Man, I forgot what a smooth Toys voice you had, Dudley. in every store. <laughs> How many of those did you sell? A beautiful rendition of chestnuts roasting over an open fire. He loves the chestnuts. But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. It's kind of got a Sinatra kind of a a, a, a flair to it. Yeah. Old brown eyes. Yeah. He's killing it. Wow. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! It's everybody. that time of year. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll try to sing a few more for for the next show. I think it's one of our favorite times of year. I mean, I know the spring is is always, but I mean, this time of year, holiday season, hunting. Yeah, the hunting is best that hunting. week around Christmas. Yes, right is. here, right here. What it did it for me was I went to my son's seventh grade uh, concert band concert last night in the gym at the at the junior high, and it was awesome. What does he play? He's percussion. He does like xylophone and the drums and things nice. like that. Nice. So he get, he got to bang the big cymbal. So the music is it runs through y'all's your your bangs. It runs through my family, yeah. yeah no. There it is. <laughs> is look, look, look at that. Look, look at it. Does he have a Santa Claus hat on? Hey, that's pretty good. Everybody's yeah, going to be in the Christmas spirit. Yeah. 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 Way, well, to, way to kick it off, Richie. Speaking of Christmas, you know, it's not too late to get some Christmas gifts. No, it's not. And uh, but the, so there's What's gift cards. Well, what? The Gamekeeper magazine. Yeah. yeah. Subscription. You yeah. could get a subscription for a friend or a family member or even like subscribe uh, a hunting camp that that's, oh, that's next to idea. you that, that needs to learn how there to manage their If you're their tired place, of what yeah. your neighbors are doing on their place, get them a subscription to Gamekeepers. That's right. Hey, and I will mention, I know it's... Christmas and there's nothing better than the, the the joy of the Christmas season, what it represents. But it is Dudley time to plant trees. It is time to plant trees, especially and, in the south. They make an excellent gift. Uh, you can plant them in memory of a loved one, or give them to a friend, and uh, they'll enjoy watching them grow. It's, mm-hmm. it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. So Big Dave shipping them out, hot and heavy. Uh, so. That's good. Is that well, enough self promotion? That is. Well, you never can do enough. But I <laughs> would remind folks that uh, you know if you've got a if your wife's looking for something to give you, you might tell her an ATN scope. If you've got pig oh, problems, yeah, if you got pig problems. Uh, it'd be a great way to help solve that. Uh, Duke traps. I got some last year. Oh, you sure did. The little dog proofs that aren't cat proof. I might add. <laughs> but uh, the dog proof traps are awesome. Yes, <laughs> they they are awesome. And uh, Moultrie feeders, Spartan cameras. So yeah, many. So good. much stuff. So uh, much stuff you can get for your Nosler bullets. Got any reloaders in your family? I won't go on there. There's nothing I like getting better at Christmas than. Than bullets. Yeah. He should get a lot of 22s. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's always good. Phil, you're stocking up and it'd be hanging yeah. with 22 yeah. cartridges. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Good old days. Yeah, yep, yep. And don't forget why, uh, why, uh, Leopold scopes when you I throw mean, them in there. Leopold. Yeah, Leopold. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's L- Leopold. It's Lou. Is it Leopold? Yeah. Well, is it you're Mississippi thinking of the author. Mississippi? 
Mm. All right. Hey, look. Um, <laughs> Mossy Oaks. So, did, so <laughs> before, before we get in here with our – we got a couple of guests. Um, well, let me just go ahead and say – go ahead and introduce. We've got – as you refer to him, he's OG. OGK. Yeah. This man is as cool as it gets in the outdoor industry. Jim Crumley. Jim Crumley. He, the father of modern day hunting camouflage. He really, he, he, I mean, he's the guy that started it all. Yeah. Taught me a lot. He really did. And so. he's, uh, Jim, are you there? I'm there. There he is. <laughs> he's there. Are you hidden on the side of a mountain somewhere in Virginia just enjoying life? Yes, I am. Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Gorgeous day today. A little windy, so I'm not so- sorry I'm not on stand. Upon the Blue Ridge Mountains. We're where stuck I take on my Blue stand. Ridge Mountains. Man, know, it's there's a song about there. that, I think. He's really the American dream. Yeah. He, he, he <laughs> no, loves hunting. I've been taller. <laughs> be, besides, be as as Lanny. besides that, be as Lanny. then I'd be the American dream. Oh, well, please. you're living the American dream, though. <laughs> hey, it couldn't it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I'm gonna go and tell you. So, for some of the younger guys that may not know, you could Google Jim Crumley, and uh, he really with tree bark kind of invented the yeah, whole camo thing. Invented really the modern. Yeah, I think the first pattern that wasn't uh, military based. Uh, was was tree bark? I, I never will forget the first time I saw it. I yeah. remember the first time I saw it too. Yeah, somebody yeah. was thinking about this. So, Jim, were, weren't you like a school teacher somewhere, and you kind of invented this? I was. Um, I went from marketing in, at Virginia Tech. Um, Frank Beamer and I took all of our classes together in '68 and '69 in marketing at Virginia Tech, and he went to. Uh, the assistant coach at Radford High School in Virginia, and I went to T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was freshman basketball coach. I know that's hard for y'all to believe. That is really hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was a marketing teacher, taught senior marketing. Oh, look at there. That makes a lot of sense. And had uh, on the movie Remember the Titans, Julius Campbell, the defensive end, had him in class and uh, – it was a wonderful, wonderful five years of uh, classroom teaching. And uh, so my, I think, second or third year there is when Remember the Titans, the movie, happened. So all the players and coaches were very, very good friends. Uh, That's a great from movie. Those, from those five years, I'd finished my master's and I became an administrator in the Alexandria school system. Um, that was not nearly as much fun for me because I wasn't with the – kids all the time mm-hmm. and uh so that's when tree bark kicked back in back in so somebody's going to do a hunting camouflage one day my experience at that point in time i uh i was now a, a confirmed bow hunter and did competitive archery in the 70s and uh my second favorite thing where well, they were actually kind of even was spring gobbler hunting i'd hunted in virginia west virginia and maryland by then and what tripped the trigger was when I had my back or anytime I let an arrow go or pulled a trigger, I had my back against the tree trunk. So I was, you know, guy, a bow hunter. I was, I was only interested in bow hunting and spring gobblers. So I said, God just needs to have a camouflage like the bark of a tree. So worked on that until 1979, sold the first tree bark suit in 1980. And retired from the school system in 81. Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck. Planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. 
All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultriePeeders.com. Use code Mossy Oak with a capital M, Mossy Oak, at MoultriePeeders.com and get that 15% discount. So a kid could have been in the 10th grade and Jim Crumley would have, yeah. could have, could have taught yeah, him. Yeah, could have taught him. That's that, right. that would have been a lot of fun. So, Jim, we've got a lot of questions we want to ask you about hunting the rut, post rut, probably even some the way, some of the way you prepare your venison, but no doubt. Let's park that on the side. We've got a we've got a guy uh, a guest here and we want you to ask questions as well, but we've got a a young man uh named Mike Yoder. And uh Mike has a uh, drone recovery service and he's traveled to many states doing this and since you know, Lanny, a few weeks ago we did the yeah. The episode about recovering deer with dogs. Yep. And then we posted a picture of some guys doing it with drones. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of comments. So. Yeah, a lot of lot of conversation around that. Yeah, I, sure. I think I saw them on a podcast, you know, maybe this time last season, uh, or, or it was maybe one of your videos, and it had an amazing amount of traction, an amazing amount of comments, and also an amazing amount of, of opinions. But uh, I was yeah. just fascinated by it. Uh, so yeah, we're so- here to learn more. Mike, welcome. Uh, uh, glad you could make it. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for uh, having me. I'm excited to be on. Well, what's uh, you know, I, I've got some questions, but I, I I think maybe the best way to start is, you know, what uh, what are you encountering out there trying to uh, recover deer with your drone? Is it creating some problems? Well, uh, the only problems it's creating is opinions on different uh, statues of how laws are written and if it's legal or not. That That's most of our problems. As far as out in the field doing it and uh, recovering, there's not there's not too many problems I'm running into other than early season if the canopy is really thick. But when you talk about... Oh, there, there went my mic. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you talk about problems, the, the problems were encountering are definitely uh on the legal side of things yeah so are you are when you get a drone up in the air um so you can search in the daylight i suppose and uh, you know i've I've seen some footage and it's pretty obvious when there's a dead deer laying there and then do you are are you also doing thermal at night yeah so the way the way we do this if if you guys aren't aware how we do it is we have thermal on our drone and then we have a two hundred times zoom camera uh it's an r g b camera uh what that is is a normal red green blue camera what you're used to seeing uh basically the thermal we find them uh, a heat signature first and then hit the zoom camera to see if that is the deer that you hit or not so it has to have some type of heat signature that the thermal camera picks up. And then once we pick up that heat signature, we hit that uh, zoom camera, zoom in to see if, you know, if it's the carcass or not. I just bet that this is very uh, effective. Uh, very effective. Yeah. 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 It, 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 I mean, I, I almost get cocky because I, I am that confident in the technology. If your deer is in the search area, we're going to find it. it. It is that simple. Unless he is uh, buried uh, <laughs> or or is uh, in water. In If they're laying in water, it can be very, very, very difficult. We have found uh, one that was laying in water, but uh, there were a couple that were in water, a creek or a pond or something like that, that later were found. Um, but rarely are they um, in those situations where we can't find them. Our, our biggest challenge is by far if if the canopy is very thick, like early, early season, uh, the deer just have a lot more places to hide. Mm-hmm. Well, so, uh, Mike, you're, you're based out of Ohio. How far yes. will you travel to help somebody? I uh, usually tell people I'm willing to travel as far as you're willing to pay because uh, I charge a mileage to travel. But uh, how our website is set up right now, if somebody is in other states, they go to drumdeerrecovery.com, and they can find pilots that are near them that have thermal drones to do the same thing I do. Uh, but we want to caution sportsmen that are going to drone to find a pilot is not all pilots have the same equipment that I do. Uh, we list them on the website, what equipment they have and to make sure, uh, you know, that they have the equipment they're looking for. Wow. You know, if you lose, a, if you shoot a big deer, can't find him 
Yeah. You, you know, maybe your buddy's got a dog. Maybe I'll try. But boy, this would be a great option. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I know there's some controversy around it, but the thought of, you know, an animal out there not being utilized after you've, for one, you know, worked your butt off to, to raise it and then, uh, you know, and then, and then harvest it. Right. I mean, it just won't waste. I've been known uh, for my opinions to change, but it, it makes perfect sense. You know, you want these animals, uh, to be recovered. Right. And just like with everything else, I mean, there's going to be some people that misuse, you know, things. I'm sure when the spotlight came out, Bobby, I don't know where you stood on that issue, but it was probably controversial. Uh, but, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I hate for one, you know, uh, bad use of it to give a black eye for everything, which is pretty hum- common in the hunting community. So, yeah. yeah yep. So, yeah. Wh- and that, that's so true because it's, that is the biggest uh, pushback we're getting is, uh, the potential for abuse, but, it's like I talk to guys that are big into thermal hunting, right, with right. their scopes on their rifles. Like, there, there's potential for abuse there. But I believe that majority of the people that are in the hunting industry, majority are still good people. Oh, I there's know they always, are. I hope There's they are. always going to be <laughs> yeah. a couple bad apples, sure, right? and everything. That could though. potentially screw it up. But for the most part, I think there's enough good people that are not going to use it to go out and find a world-class buck and then go shoot it because they use the drone to, you know, get its exact coordinates and then walk in and shoot it. And, and uh, you bring up a good point. I mean, we've already got thermal rifles. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean we, we use a, thermal for recovery. We, I mean, it's not like you're shooting them with the drone. We use not a yet. lot of things that <laughs> we use a lot of things that could potentially be used to break the law. Sure. And, and exactly. We have a choice yep. and we uh, yep. live in America too. So America. Yep. Uh, Give me some know, knuckles. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So what is the, the, the kind of the pushback? Is it coming from, st- what are they saying? I, I guess let, me, let you explain that. Uh, well, they are saying we are using an aircraft in the aid of hunting. They are saying that recovery is still part of the hunt, which is, that is the farthest thing from the truth that that could be. Because if you think about recovery and saying that you are still hunting, well, then wouldn't that mean that if you go in at night to recover your carcass, then you're still hunting and that's not legal. So why are you allowed to go recover your carcass uh, after hours? Makes no sense. That's their only way to slow the technology down is just say let's just say it's illegal and cut it straight out like they they can't do that they can't just say it's illegal without a statue to support their reasoning it makes a lot of sense are there any states that have outlawed it is there any pending legislation about it i mean well yeah there's states that say they have outlawed it but if you look at their how their laws and the statue is written there's attorneys that would laugh at them. Yeah. So Michigan, right, they send us emails, say you can't use a drone in, in recovery because it's aiding in the hunt is what they say. Uh, Iowa, I think, is trying to do it. Illinois is doing it. I got a cease and desist from New York. Like there's plenty of states that are saying you can't do it. But it comes down to how the statutes are written. And when I talk about this, I'm not giving legal advice at all. Like you have to, you know, do your own research and get your own attorney to read the statues. But I'm telling you right now how the statues are written, that if you have a good attorney and they are going to tell you that, well, you were aiding in the hunt with your drone, that is that is so ridiculous. Right. Uh, be, be, because I, I we just heard this said like this. So let's say there's two two buddies that are going hunting. You have a tag. I have a tag. We go out in the morning and uh, I, sh- I shoot a buck. And I take it back to camp and now you shoot a deer, right? You hit a deer, you start tracking it, but you get tired and you're like, man, I'm, I'm tired. And you come back to camp and you, and now I go and I track your deer, no weapon, no nothing, right? Like I'm allowed to go re- track your deer. Uh, I'm not hunting. So why wouldn't I be allowed to do that with my drone? I'm not hunting. All of that, all of that legality stuff and the, the oh, yeah. words, the verbiage. I, I was looking at Mississippi today, and it, it specifically said no baiting is allowed, but they allow you to put corn out. Well, yeah. What do you call that? I mean, it's it's uh, it's just how the words are and all the weird legal descriptions. You can't and, bait, but you can feed properly. Oh, yeah, okay. sure. Right. So, Mike, could it be <laughs> – is it one of these scenarios that technology has just moved so fast that it kind of snuck up on some of the, these states and oh, they, and they, and they probably just don't know what their opinion is yet. And, and yeah, so they exactly. just kind of knee jerk and say, that makes no. sense. Yep. yeah, it makes that, sense. 
That's totally it. It's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction. So uh, I just spoke to a guy today that was uh, head of Game and Fish in Illinois in 1995, and he, he told me that exact thing, is when something new comes, they just react to it. It's just like, okay, boom, this is what we're going to tell them. Illegal can't do it. But in the long term, they will have to write true policy to have it black and white it can't be gray like it can't be well this is how we feel that you know the law reads it, it can't be like that yeah um can you just for our listeners some of them may not know can you can you just go through a scenario of, of, of how you how you recover a deer is it is it normally after they try with a dog and then can't or can you just go over the scenario real quick yeah so when I, you know, started last season, they, they would use all means necessary, usually before they call me. Uh, but now set that people have, you know, watched the videos on YouTube and have, there's millions of people that have watched it now. Uh, I would say more people are transitioning into getting a drone because of the, the reason that if your deer is actually not dead, uh, you won't bump them. So if you take a dog in it, you you can, you know, tend to bump those deer at times. So people are now transitioning over to using drones. I don't think that dogs should go away. I don't think that dogs will go away. Dogs have their place in this. Uh, when I first started, you know, the few people felt like I was against them. And I, I'm not against dogs whatsoever. Uh, I am just saying when I'm flying my drone that I feel my opinion is that this is better than a dog because if your deer is not dead, you're not going to bump him and you're going to leave him there until he ex- expires. So the normal process of of how we recover a, a, a carcass is you show me on your you know favorite app, Google Earth or or any of the other uh, platforms out there that yeah, you that you like to use. Um, you would show me where you, uh, sh- you know, shot him on that map. And then you would show me a trail where you tracked him. And I would take the drone into that area. And I would look in the area that you want me to look as the hunter. You tell me, well, I feel like he's going to be back in this draw. I'm going to go try to find him over there with my drone. And if I don't find him there, then I basically just start doing a grid pattern, right? Just like you would if you're in a big open field, go down, go over 10 feet, come back do that with a drone, but just cover hundreds of acres in the amount of time that you could ever do it on foot. And if he's in there, I'm telling you, I'm so confident. If he is in there, I am going to find it. Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all new Gunner Dog Bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and designed for everywhere. How long will that heat signature from a, a dead animal last? So I have to say it in a ideal condition. Ideal condition, let's say it's between 30 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, 48 hours is, we, we found a 48 hours after. Uh, there's a couple different you know scenarios. Like if it's below freezing, that's not going to last as long. But there's no hard evidence that I can give you that if it's you know between 20 and 30, it's this many hours. If it's between 30 and 60, it's this many hours. But I can tell you that we have found deer that you know, we're shot 48 hours, um, before and we found them. Hmm. Pretty good. You know, Lanny, one time we left Giles Island Yeah, and, uh, a couple of the guys stayed back to film a commercial, David, and he was flying that, uh, flying a drone, just getting, filming some footage. Yeah. And he, and Hank, uh, Parker had been there hunting with us and lost a deer a couple of days before that. And they saw it. From, from the drone, yeah. I mean, if you think about trailing a deer through thick CRP, a lot of the, the habitat we have around here, I mean, you can you can hardly see as far as you can reach. Um, so, given yeah. that aerial perspective, uh, is is pretty is pretty it, interesting. It, it has, yeah, I mean, around here, thing. you may walk ten foot by a deer. And, oh, you can literally them. walk right by them here yeah. in the right place. And oh, we you walk right past them even if you have a GPS coordinates off of the drone. I uh, I found a big eight pointer. Uh, that we had a GPS coordinates and we walked to it. It was, it was, um, 
big old tall grass, probably four or five feet tall with underbrush and stuff. And we're like, that deer got to be right here. Like that drone usually gets us within 20 feet of where it is. And uh, we were literally 20 feet from the deer, didn't see it, walked around it, and then finally uh, stepped on it. But it was like, there's so many times, I guarantee it, when we were tracking deer that we either walked right past them or just did not go far enough. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Hey, Jim Crumley, you got a question? I don't have a question. I I just have several uh, comments, and I'll try to make them quick. Sure. Uh, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's it's great. It's like Lanny said earlier, and we all agree that if there's some way to keep you from losing a deer, uh, it should be, you know, thoroughly allowed to be allowed. I guess. And I go back to uh, a situation that happened to me years ago in Virginia. Uh, an out, the local, an, a local outdoor writer was, had called me to do a interview for an article. And we were talking about this, that, and the other. And he said, uh, so have you done, uh, uh, done any good this year? And this was in going towards the end of October, getting ready to come into November. And, I said, uh, yes, I've, we have does in the freezer now. And um, uh, I did shoot one of the very few mature bucks that I've ever shot in October. And uh, fortunately, uh, I had to let it go overnight because I didn't see it fall. I thought I had a good hit by the arrow. And the next morning I took our, my blood trail dog, Tiki, Sherry named him Tiki Barber Crumley. Uh, uh, and Tiki uh, found him. And uh, t- my blood trailing dog, who's long past now, but we had 56 con- you know, confirmed fines by by Tiki in a 10-year period. Wow. Uh, I had a rule that uh, if you when you sh- when you shot to leave the arrow in the ground if it was there. And if you didn't see the deer die, you had to come back to the house and we took the dog. So a lot of those deer we would have found anyway, because they were dead within 1500 yards. But sure. anyway, I made it, yeah. I've made it happen that, that he would have to find it. So I mentioned to this writer that I took Tiki and, and we found this buck the next morning. Uh, I think it's the first buck I ever saw, shot off the property that had over a 20 inch inside spread. And I shot it in October. And like I said, is to this day, we've been here 34 seasons. And uh, once I fully retired, added those five extra Saturdays to my week. Uh, <laughs> from Oct- October, November, and December, I hunt at least a half a day every single day, weather permitting. Wow. Um, on our property, of course. Uh, but all of a sudden, this. so I said, I'm real proud of getting this. That was the first mature buck I'd ever shot in October. And this outdoor writer um, said, well, tell me again that you took the dog looking for your deer in October during bow season. And I said, yeah. I said, I've done it on many does. And he said, well, I got to tell you something. He said, that's against the law in Virginia. What? And I said, what? And he said, it's against the law in Virginia to use a dog to hunt or recover a deer during bow season. And I said, you got to be kidding me, Mark. And he's, he, he said, I'm telling you. He said, I've had this discussion before with somebody. And I said, well, and he said, I'm not going to include that part in the article. I am <laughs> going to include the part about you. Uh, getting your first mature, what you feel like was a five-year-older buck in October. And I said, well, okay. Well, as it happened, uh, we, we're real close to our game wardens, or, which are now conservation officers. And uh, Sherry, my wife, has at one time served on the Virginia Game Division board. She wasn't the first woman, but she ended up being the first woman to be chairman of our game game department in Virginia. Excellent. So I knew all the people uh, and I called our executive director at the time, Bob Duncan. And I said, Hey, I got that question. He said, what? And I said, I've been told that uh, retrieving a, 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 a wounded deer during bow season with a dog in Virginia is illegal. He said, no way. 
And I said, I've been told that. And he said, well, that can't be because at the Radford Army Ammunition Plant, when we have our herd reduction program every year, we use the we use dogs so that we can give the deer to the hunters for the hungry. And I said, well, I've been told, and he said, he's got it right here in the laws. And anyway, Bob said, let me get with legal and I'll call you back. And he did. And he said, wow, he's right. We've got outdated <laughs> laws and rules. And he said, I promise you, I will take care of this. He said, the ridiculous part of this is in the coastal counties of Virginia, you can run in rifle season. I mean, gun season, you can run deer with dogs to kill them. <laughs> but you can't use one yeah. to recover them. <laughs> and he said, it's just outdated. This goes back into the 60s or something like that. We'll fix it. So what Mike's going through here now is that kind of stuff. You, you know, it just it, it, it takes people that just need to think things out to get it right. But I think Mike's doing the right thing. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's cool. That's a long story to get to that one point. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Story, long yeah, story. Point, yeah. Hey, laws. I like it. I I like the details. It because and and you know he went into the details of of how it wasn't allowed. It's just like uh, game cameras and cell cams. When those first came out, that was very controversial. If those were going to be allowed to be used, mm-hmm. exactly. I learned to tell long stories from Bobby Cole. <laughs> you know, uh, going back to your wife, Miss Sherry, though, she clearly is your better half. And I forgot that she'd been so involved in all the, oh in yeah, the, in the outdoors, leading the conservation yeah. work, no doubt about it. No one lets me forget that. <laughs> wow. Well, so, uh, Mike, I'm looking over here at our producer Richie Davenport, who, uh, huh? I, I would love for you guys to get you guys hooked up. I think it'd be really interesting to do a TV show with him. Absolutely, uh, re- recovering some animals. Yeah, so. and there's a network of guys you work with, isn't it, Mike? Oh yeah, yeah. So, well, the company has pivoted a couple different times on uh, what it is that we do. So originally, I was going to have just uh, exclusive operators for drone deer recovery. They would come here and they would train. They would have the equipment I had. They they were essentially me providing the service in other um, parts of the country. But we we pivoted away from that because what happened is we had. Millions of people watching this on all social platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, you name it. Uh, And there were literally thousands of people coming to Drone Deer Recovery to look for a pilot. And nobody was really close in their area or the area was so big that we weren't able to serve them. So uh, one day we had like, I think it was 30 or 40 people and we were only able to serve two of those because we were just too far away. And I I told uh, my business partner, I was like, we got to shift. We have to get more pilots onto the platform because people are coming to drone deer recovery to uh, find a pilot. They're they're not necessarily just coming for a drone deer recovery pilot. They're just wanting somebody with a thermal drone to uh, help them find their deer. So now we pivoted away from exclusive operators for drone deer recovery and are allowing anybody with a thermal drone to list on our website. That way, when somebody comes and is looking for a thermal pilot, they can call that pilot directly and then they can go out and help them. So that's, uh, that's how we're set up now is to basically be a place where sportsmen come to find a pilot in their area to help them recover a carcass. It's a pretty cool business. Yeah, it is cool. It really is helping guys find their deer. And and my understanding is he's found missing dogs and cattle and uh, all kind of stuff. Yeah. And you do some wildlife management stuff. Yeah. One of my guys just found a dog yesterday. Uh, They found him in 15 minutes in a big open area. He was missing since Sunday. So he would have been gone for three days and they were able to go out there and find him. That's, hmm. that's really good. And you do some wildlife yeah. management stuff too, like buck yeah, ratios so I, and wildlife Yeah, surveys. so I, I call them uh, herd analysis. After talking to a biologist, he said he would call it more of a, like a deer census. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to learn on that stuff. Like if biologists want to help us like try to figure out how to utilize these drones in a, in a, you know, a better way to help with herd management. Basically, I call it a herd analysis where I come out and I fly your property. Uh, basically, the whole thing gets flown and I count all the deer that are on there and give you a antler versus antlerless count. And I 
don't know how to prove this for sure, but I believe I'm about 98% accurate on counting every deer that is on your property. Boy, I mean, it would be doing a lot of counting down it, here. <laughs> it would be hard not to. I mean, you're yeah. you're basically looking at a big a black, thermal. big black square with three or four yeah. red dots on yeah. it. You, know? you got it. It, it could be it. pigs yep. down here, though. That's true. You know, well, well, we he, did run into into some of that. So we did some stuff in uh, Georgia. Uh, we did some stuff in Oklahoma. We we were in Alabama. So yeah, there there are challenges. You'll find coyote. You'll find fox. You'll You'll find anything that has a heat signature. But you can zoom in, I assume, and, and, and ID them most of the time. Yeah, if he's IDing antlerless versus antlerless, oh, I, I can figure that out. Absolutely. Coast yeah, we're going to see horns. it. Yep. And, I, you know, I can <laughs> I can see in, in 10 years there being technology that can just differentiate it. Oh, I mean, of you, course. Yeah, yep. you, you know yeah. how, how, like, fish finders and, and things have evolved oh, over yeah. the years. Or home so, security. It, yeah. Yep, absolutely. AI will be able to do this. And I believe with... <laughs> This is getting really out there, but I believe in the future that uh, they are already doing it in China and other parts of the world where there's a hub. Your drone lands in this hub, so it lands and it charges itself and it can take off and it can go do its mission and come back and return. I see people being able to do that on their farm. So the drone takes off, goes out, comes back, brings the data back, and you can tell, you know, okay, looks like I got, you know, 30 doe that moved in overnight or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah, it really uh, is. So, have you ever been called to find like a missing person or something? I know that's kind of yeah. off subject. Yep. But. yep. So I've been called for missing uh, persons. It's it, when I get those calls, I want to make sure that law enforcement is already involved. Um, it gets a little. It's not. I've been called to look for like potential suicide people, and that just doesn't. It. It's different. I'm yeah, sure I would think so. It's a good word for it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely different. Yeah. We appreciate you being on here. And yeah, not a problem. We're really interested in what you're doing. We we love dogs, but in fairness, we want to make sure we recover as many. Uh, we don't no leave no doubt about it. No, no animal I, unrecovered. You know, I don't really see that as a competition thing. We're all, you know, we're all hunters. We're all in this together. We want to be able exactly. to recover our deer. Yeah, uh, that kind of sounds like what you had mentioned earlier. So, yeah. So, yep. Richie, let's get with Mike. Let's let's figure out a way to do a show about it. I think that'd be really interesting. So, yeah, and in the meantime, look, go check out dronedeerrecovery.com. You know, I just piled up in there and look. There's a guy right here, local with us. Actually, no, Blake Henley. We can call now, and it's just right here in our local area. So, nice. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, it does work out. When you when see that's the other thing about what I'm doing now. When when I first started, I don't know. Do we have time? If not, yeah, go I'll, ahead. I'll cut it. Yeah, uh, is when I started it, I started the YouTube channel. It was about paying my drone off. I, I spent $21,000 on my drone and I was like, I just want to do enough recoveries to pay my drone off. Well, it's blown up completely way beyond that. Now what I want to do is help those guys that are on our website, make them successful. So really it's like people think like it's, it's about me. No, I want to turn it into about you. If you want to fly drones and you want to do this like let's see how we can make you successful because the guy you just mentioned on our website you know if if he's able to drum up business because of the website that's what i want to do i want to send people to the website call your local operators in your area and uh help them with their business yeah i just went to a site put in 39773 my buddy blake henley popped on up i just texted him so i'm already in touch Bobby, next year you can't find we're on it. So. Yeah. Nice. Well, nice. I, this is really interesting. And it we is. and we appreciate you taking time to join us. Hey, not a problem. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, be uh, be careful this uh, this winter. We'll stay in touch. I expect we'll probably be seeing more of you. Yeah, sure. Oh, we'll cool. Yeah, I know we will. Thanks, Sounds Mike. Good. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Have a good one. You too, buddy. Nosler is known for their bullets, and now they're making suppressors. Nosler suppressors are made for hunting. Adding a Nosler suppressor to your rifle will make you a quieter, more accurate, and more effective hunter. Protect your hearing and disturb less game with a Nosler suppressor. The time to hunt quiet is now. Learn more at Nosler.com. The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. Let's change gears a little bit. We've got uh, we got Toxie on the line, and, and 
we got Jim Crumley, and I want to take this opportunity to uh, – Mr. Jim, we want to learn from you. You've been bow hunting a long time. Long There's time. No telling how many years, if you'll even own up to them. But would you kind of explain some of your secrets or your strategies as uh, for, for for hunting the rut or specifically bow hunting the rut and specifically trying to target mature animals? You know, things change. Uh, you go through phases and stages when you when you start. I was a late bloomer, I think. Y'all might remember because I didn't I, I didn't have deer season where I grew up in southwest Virginia, right on the Tennessee border. So I was small game with dad up until my very first bow hunt was while I was a student at Virginia Tech. I was with Alexandria School System. I took a part-time job goose guiding, waterfowl guiding on the eastern shore of Maryland. I used to think a mature buck was three years old, but we all know now that five is 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 where you really would like to see them to where they're going to show up to be what they're going to be. So I didn't get into that till we got our own property where I am now. And we bought it in 1990. And then that changed everything. And the first fall I hunted here, which was the fall of 1990, I saw one eight point buck the entire season. (laughs) The next year we were on our state game program, our DMAP deer management program. I allowed bow hunting only and friends and family. We killed 27 deer on the DMAP program. Every single one of them was a doe because that's what we wanted to do. And it took three more years of that before we started seeing, even seeing three-year-old eight-pointers. Now we pretty much every year, somebody kills one or two five-year-old bucks. So we're not an area of Virginia that has the great genetics, but we know that we have them now and we know how to give ourselves advantage by doing it. And I mentioned earlier, October has always been a difficult time for us to shoot a mature buck. It just, they're just nighttime guys. Uh, and December is even worse. Um, but we still, we still hunt for the mature buck. We shoot does in October, and if we haven't filled the freezer, we shoot does in December. We don't shoot does in November. Um, I learned, of course, like you guys did, and you have known way before I did, from Joe Champion down in Alabama. Bless his heart. We love you, Joe. Um, uh, the, of course, there was a January rut down there. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, I never knew that. And I think don't y'all have a January rut in most of Mississippi? It's yeah, usually it's this. usually most of December, I would say, on average. But uh, in the South uh, East, it's it's January. Joe Champion telling me don't come down here in December. That's right. We didn't hunt. We didn't. We yeah. We didn't hunt much in December. And so it's it's the the what I'm saying is it's tough to do even on property that I live with the deer. I mean, I live with the deer now for 34 years. It is really, really tough uh, to take a mature buck, especially in December. However, I still go every chance I get. There you go. <laughs> in hopes of, because there's, I think there's two, there's two sayings we live by. And one is uh, we go to see if it's meant to be. And the other is you got to go to know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I can't stand not being there. I'm not. I don't go when I'm going to be uncomfortable anymore. And what's the other one? You can't kill them on the couch. Nope. Right. <laughs> well, unless it's a good football game. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's it's something that gets toxy nose. You guys know too. It just gets once it gets into your blood, it's going to be there. No doubt about it. I can't it. believe I can't, can't believe friends. I had friends that were addicted in the seventies and eighties and don't deer hunt anymore. And I don't understand that. So, you you feel like you're? Uh, are you still as mad at them as you were when you were much younger? Or are you going just more to just enjoy? If I see one that I don't get a shot at, uh, it doesn't blow me off off my stand and stomp and stomp all the way home and uh no uh if it just doesn't happen uh then i tip my hat and it's not his day uh and 
hopefully I'll see him again. That's another thing that I think is so tough to do is you 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 get a real nice one in on your cameras in July, and you say that's in velvet, and you say that's the one I'm going to hunt this year. Well, that's the worst thing in the world I ever tried to do. I don't do that anymore. Oh, target <laughs> a specific animal. I think that's tough. It is. Uh, so. I guess the answer to Bobby's question, I have no secrets except now I have the luxury of going all the time. Uh, I remember somebody, one of my seminars at the Greenbrier Resort, he said, well, when would you say is the best time to go in for a chance to shoot a good buck? And I said, buddy, when you can, when you can. <laughs> That's the best time to go yeah. when you can. Uh, so that's you the know, way I feel. Uh, no, no, uh, yeah, no secrets. Dr. Lashley gave us that answer for burning. What's the best time of year to burn? He said, any time you can. <laughs> the same, that's the same thing. So I wish I had, uh, you know, the magic solution. I know I remember Gene Wenzel, my fa- one of my favorite quotes for him is, if you want to shoot a big, mature buck, go where they have big, mature bucks. <laughs> that's, that's another good yeah, answer. 100%. And, and uh, I think that starts it, and then it would just take, you know, take time being there. But if they get big, and sometimes it's just not meant to be. Uh, as, a, as a bow hunter, um, do you typically uh, prefer hunting in the in the you know field edges and things, uh, food plots, or are you more often in uh, finding yourself in the woods? Mostly in the woods up here. We do not have crops to hunt. We do overseed from time to time. Usually it's in clo- it's clovers or something like that. In nineteen ninety one or ninety two, I planted sawtooth oaks all over our property, and uh, that's probably the best thing I ever planted. On, on and that's about the only thing I could do in our our country. Uh, we can't do fruit trees and things like that because we're covered up with black bears. Uh, we generally shoot one or two black bears every fall, and we're mostly hardwoods here. This year we did not have a good natural acorn crop, so the deer were scattered out more, and that made it tough. Our sawtooths help us on the property a whole lot, and of course by November I'm around thickets. If somebody else asked me one time in a seminar, if I had one week in November for I could take for vacation, when should I take it? And just again, from the states that I had hunted up at, up in this area, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, those I would take it between November 10th and the 20th. I would think a lot of people would say that, you know, in the Whitetails range, you know, where the, you know, the rut is typically in November. That's that's probably the sweet spot. It would have, I would have to think. And the only, I mentioned I've only shot one mature buck in December. That particular buck I shot uh, the date, as I said, I can never forget because it was 12, 13, 14. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jim, what do you prefer? And do you see a difference between the pre-rut, early rut and the tail end? Good question. And and I, I would have to go for my experiences here for the beginning usually the first Saturday of November. And so like the 5th through the 10th for five or six years in a row, the biggest bucks in our county and surrounding counties were killed by muzzleloaders. We start out by the end of October seeing young bucks pestering does pretty much into the first week of November. And then it's like somebody brings a trailer truck full of mature bucks in and dumps them on your property. Somebody's going to get a crack at one pretty much every day starting on the 10th. Makes a lot of sense. I would just say from my, my observations, it seems like there's more, call it maybe, let's cheat a little bit, four-year-olds and up at the early rut. But I would say I've seen more really big deer, like sure enough, like six or seven oldest deer. I've seen more of them get killed right at the rut was ending and i always felt like that was because those deer were so wise to what was going on they had a doe with them all those weeks leading up yep. to that and that's the first time they can't find the doe and that's when they for a day or two and plus they hadn't eaten anything in a while that's when they really roam looking for one last doe and get killed no i agree with that i saw that personally because of you guys in 2001 y'all sent me on an outdoor writer's hunt in southern illinois 
I saw a on the edge. I'm back in the woods off the edge of a soybean field, and first morning, first morning at daybreak, I'm saying, "What is that I'm seeing?" And it turns out it's this really, really, really nice buck. It was turning his head, and all I was seeing were horns because he was bedded down on the other side of a bank, a bank of dirt. He's about 75 yards from me, and I've got my binoculars on him now. It's getting good daylight. And he lay there until does started filing out of that soybean field. And he was bedded on a trail that they were taking to come out of the soybean field. Then he would start checking them out. It's like it was going through a, a pass gate. And he did that again the second morning. When he would finally get a doe he wanted to be with, he was he would leave with her. He wouldn't chase her. He would just follow her off. Uh, the name of the outfitter was Heartland. Maybe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure was. After supper, James said, tomorrow at lunchtime, I'm going to move that stand up closer to that bean field. But then the next morning, I want you to let it lay and get, I'll take you somewhere else. And then you go back in there and I'm going to have to take you in there like three o'clock in the morning for you to get there. <laughs> I said, that's fine. Let's do it. And he did it. I shot that buck that morning doing the exact same thing that he has done the previous mornings. But the doe came right in front of me this time instead of going the opposite way. I scored him at 159. Mm. Gross. A heck of a, heck of a nice oh, buck. No doubt. He wasn't out running around, it's just like Toxie said. He he knew what he had to do as a as a mature buck. He said, I'm just going to sit right here and let them come to me, and then I'm going to find one that's ready. That hunt, I learned an awful lot from that one mature buck of why I don't see them. You know, during that special period when, they're, when there's easy does to find, they are in lockdown, and you don't see them running crazy like you do the two- and three-year-olds. Would almost expect that buck to get in with a doe and maybe spend a couple of days with her, but he sounded from what the story Mr. Jim told is that he sounded like he was picking does that were ready mm-hmm. every morning. Yeah, laying in the same spot four mornings in a row. I guess it sounds like it was working really well for him. Oh, yeah, he was doing a good job. <laughs> I'd say in the same group if it was working out like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're managing a spectacular place up there, and you've had 34 seasons to make changes and improvements. And so if a guy's listening to this and he's got a property that he can can affect some change on, what, what would you suggest that he definitely do? I think the most successful thing is, I've already mentioned that the most successful thing I ever put on the property was sawtooth oaks. It just works for us. These same sawtooths are, good Lord, 60 feet high and I can't tell you how many bushels of acorns they have every single year. Making sure natural stuff that's here, the blackberries, the persimmons. Uh, we've done select timbering, what we think is proper propagation of the of the forest for us, and, and that's worked well. Uh, we keep bush hog trails uh, for the deer to travel. And probably the next thing is <laughs> just for management is the whole 34 years if you shot a buck you had to pay to get it mounted or you didn't come back to hunt here again there you go always a good rule except for my wife (laughs) (laughs) so that just puts the pressure on the hunter to make sure it's something that he's uh that he's really excited about Correct. We, we don't put a say it's got to be an eight point. It's got to be a three-year-old eight point. We, we don't do that. Shoot, our local taxidermists get 450 for a shoulder mount now. So if a guy, if he wants that buck and he wants to spend 450 on it, then we've got enough bucks now that that's fine. That's really an easy way to do it. You know, if, yeah. uh, you, know, if you have 10 or 12 guests a year and you're not positive, they're able to, to age uh, the deer on the hoof and you know, you're going for mature deer only. That that makes perfect sense. You know, don't shoot it unless you're going to shoulder mount it. If you want to work well for you us, you want some deer meat, shoot a doe, put her in the freezer. Well, Jim, what have we? What should we be asking you about hunting the rut, hunting post rut, managing your property? Is there any other advice or any things you want to that you've learned in the last thir- thirty four years on that one property? Is just go. If there's sign that a big buck around, if you're if you've got rubs, if you've got scrapes, uh, just spend what time you can. And if it's meant to be, it'll it'll be. And if it's not, tip your hat and say next year or next time. There's a lot of folks who, you know, their their plan is to keep the pressure as low as possible and, until they go in, or you know that you you wait on that absolutely perfect wind, or the weather's not right. Uh, you, you kind of sound a lot like me. I, I just like being out there. Um, 
I do try to strategize and hunt the wind and stuff like that. But you know, if it's raining, I like being out in the woods. I'm I'm probably going to go anyway. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess the smaller the property, the, the easier it is to overpressure your deer, uh, if you're hunting in the wrong areas with the wrong wind. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you take that kind of stuff into consideration, uh, even though you do go a lot. Actually, Bobby, the, to answer your question, I, once you do have the privilege of managing your own property, keeping does around year round, uh, we do it with our, with natural habitat and natural food, but keeping those round year round, that's going to have the bucks coming through. Maybe not, but not, maybe not mature bucks that live on your acreage. I mean, you know, we only have right at 400 acres. So it's, but all the people that are around us are on the same program. That's key. Closer to 3,500 acres, contiguous acres that everybody's on the same page. And the last I know, 20 years has helped things around here considerably. How did you go about, uh, I mean, did you kind of have some plan on, you know, getting to know your neighbors better and trying to lead by example, or did did somebody, you know, was this a concerted effort or, uh, you know, how long has that been going on where y'all have all been on the same page? It it took 10 years of preaching. Uh, Guys, the reason you're you're shooting these little bucks is because you're shooting these little bucks. It's a hard concept you, to pick up on for some people. Yeah. yeah, for some people it is. Well, Jim, I only have you know Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I've got. I said I, I, don't, I don't want to sound like I'm telling you what to do on your own property, but I said if you really, really, really want to make things more exciting when you when you get on a stand, you know, shoot a big doe. Just do not shoot a forkhorn because you want to. Tell your buddy you killed a buck this year. We've got a good mix of good people that we're all on the same page. What's your top end buck scoring that you guys have killed on the, that cooperative? The best buck that was ever shot here was not on ours. It was on the adjoining property behind us. It was 174. Mm, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is, yeah. The top on my property, I didn't even kill it. A son of a guest killed it when we started allowing rifle hunting. And that was, uh, he scored 157. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Right there. That sure But is. for us, you just have to, you know, everything's relative. For us, that's really, for Virginia Blue Ridge Mountain deer, that's that's a dandy. Yeah. That's well, a dandy for Clay County. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, Mr. Jim, I almost forgot, but you've got, uh, you've got a trivia question for us, I think. All right. Before we let you ask, uh, we we do we do this little trivia thing. We normally ask the guest one, but Mr. Jim said he he thought he could he might could stump us. Right? So you know we're always up to a challenge. But Richie, who is our trivia question uh, brought to you by? Who we're playing for, and what's the prize? Today's trivia is brought to us by Sheffield Financial because your finances are not trivial. They are not trivial. Look at Richie. <laughs> Good job, Richie. Yeah. We're I trying. Was that, that the, tune. Yeah, I did too. We're, we're reckon, uh, well, it, there might have been a template, uh, you, you know. <laughs> uh, so, but, uh, so we're playing for uh, uh, Taken Six, a uh, po- fellow podcast listener, uh, says, I love the podcast and really love the episode on dogs and the 10 things to do with your dog. It hit close to home today after holding the, the paw of my Australian Shepherd of 12 years when we said goodbye. I appreciate oh, all the oh knowledge you share and striving for the conservation and God in the outdoors. Wow. That yeah. is excellent. Well, good. Well, maybe we can win a prize for this guy. What is, uh, what's the prize, Rich? Uh, we got here from Allen Company. We got some meat bags and a uh, uh, gramble. Gambrel. Gambrel. <laughs> yeah. A grambling. One of those two. <laughs> grambling, yeah, grambling State University. <laughs> They're like a growler. <laughs> Very similar. So, so some some meat bags to haul your, your meat out out of the back country. There you that. go. That's perfect. Yeah. All right, Jim, we're ready. It's an easy one. The name of the bow hunter shot the world record typical, but never registered it. Oh, oh my goodness! And this was the anniversary of this just happened. Yes, and uh, but let's. let's I Tox think I'm down this. there too now, yeah. but it, I know it. You know it. Yeah, I think I know it. Was it a controversial? Very controversial. Was it the guy from like Michigan? It was. Yes, it was. Yeah. I remember the day this happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right, go Mitch Rompala. Rompala. Yeah. We good it, job. That's it. 
You know, I mean, I think the it's, anniversary of that just happened. Yeah, I remember when I—I I think we were still using fax machines or something when this thing came out because the story hit and we were all buzzing and talking about it, but never really figured out what happened. It's an odd story. I it would is. love to learn the whole thing. I wish we could get him to come home one day. But I remember the picture still. Yeah, super wide deer. Yeah, it was. Jim, what do you remember about that story? I think this all kind of fell into the same time when a lot of people that maybe either had an idea that this might not be legal or they knew the guy and didn't like him because he was a successful bow hunter and they were you know jealous of it. There was a lot of that going on. But I think it got to the point to he just said, well, why do I need to put up with this? And Look, I, I love the history of whitetails. I have for a long time. So yeah, I follow a too, yeah. yeah, I follow a page called, called Mitch Rompalov something. Fans, yeah. yeah, and yeah. It, they have. There's been so many stories that have come out about that deer that nobody knows. That doesn't nobody seem to know the truth. Right. There were so allegations not, that were, antlers were altered and all kind of other stuff. So. Yeah, yeah they, that was one of them. But I also heard that this guy, that Mitch, was an unbelievable. A detailed bow hunter, hunter no and doubt had about killed it. a lot of big bucks before, and it, so it, it wasn't a you know a, a big surprise. It's just uh, maybe the way the deer's ears laid, the antlers looked a little odd. It just it just it just caused some doubts. But uh, but it it seems like he just got tired of all the attention and just walked away. Yeah, sure did. That's a good question. Yeah, there. great question. You know, that's a that's a blast from the past right there. Nobody has stumped us yet. Well, I knew it wasn't going to stump you guys. Oh, well, don't worry. They can stump us. It's not that hard, Bobby. Don't get on, <laughs> get off your high horse there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the guy wins the prize. So that, that's, that's awesome. All right. Well, uh, I, I, I'm sure Toxie uh, is going to chime in here, but we, we just all just have, we just admire you so much. No we doubt. appreciate what you do. We have so much respect for you and your wife. And Yeah, and appreciate what you taught us, too. I'm just going to be straight about that. So. Yeah. We need to have you back on and talk about meat. Yeah, we do. He is the man that, that thank you guys that introduced me to the whitetail aging process that I use to this day, and I do too. Yes, and matter of fact, we've got a pot of venison chili going now. Well, I got six hanging in the cooler, Jim. And I got just oh, thinking about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to a, a chef buddy the other day, uh, Chef Ty Tim. Yeah. We were wanting to do a little experiment where we, you know, hang the deer hide on and hang the deer hide off mm-hmm. and do a little taste test, a little blind taste test comparison. I can tell you what's going to taste. Better. Everybody thinks we're crazy for aging deer with the hide on. And it's uh, the only way to go. Hey, I grew up in the meat science world, Brian Food, Sarah Lee. I was all in the middle of that. I'm just telling you. There are variables, like where'd you hit them and all that. And how'd you, you know, what was the temperature? How long, you know, how long did... I mean, you know, it's bacteria, all of it is, but hide on all day long. Mm-hmm. What is it, Jim? 38 degrees, 38 days? Isn't that what you told me? 36 degrees, 28 days. Oh, I had it backwards. <laughs> you know, I confused stuff. You better I'll write never that I'm, I know I'm going 28. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Life life begins at 40. I heard yeah. that from Toxie. Yeah. You got to keep it under 40. That's my saying. Yeah, but what, and I grew up, you know, hunting and eating deer, but uh, what, Jim and Joe Champion taught me those days at Portland Landing about uh, venison really has changed the game for, for us. So That's good. Toxie, I'll give you the last word with Mr. Jim. I'll go back a little bit. One of the things I give everybody in my sermon at the company is like it's so fulfilling to know that you made a difference in something you love in your life, in your professional career. And he literally is the pioneer for what we all do today. For that, I will be always eternally thankful. And for setting the precedent for being a great person. I, I thank you all, too. And, and I thank you for the years I got to spend with y'all to build on the relationships we already had, which we built as competitors. Uh, that's right. <laughs> if you just think about that. That's right. Shade, I would I talk mean, about it. She said, there are competitors and we love them. How'd that happen? And I said, <laughs> It's a great lesson for everybody to learn is just don't take yourself so seriously. What's Tim McGraw's song? Be humble and kind. Indian outlaws, what I thought he was going to say. <laughs> and get in a tree stand every time you get a chance. Amen. All right, Mr. Jim. Well, we sure appreciated you you being there and uh, and talking to us, and we, we look forward to doing this again. 
Same here, guys. I wish you the very merriest of Christmas, and Sherry and I send you all our love. That's perfect. Thanks, Mr. Jim. Guys, we always, usually at the beginning, we got distracted. We do Blood on the Biologic, and it's usually about some young people, and they're killing their first deer or something, mm-hmm. but it's brought to you by LS Tractors. I think everybody's got a few here. Dudley, I'll let you start. Yeah, so uh, the other day, I was dropping little Dud's dough off at the at the meat place to get done I, I do a lot of deer myself but i like to drop one off every year and get all the sausage and stuff done and saw uh, my buddy chris herring and uh and met his daughter avery and she had just killed a really good buck uh there's a photo that'll pop up here soon but uh and she was also a really nice person so i, I enjoyed talking to her and seeing her buck so congrats avery yeah that was a great deer Mm-hmm. Lanny, what you got? Uh, yeah, we got a uh, you know one of our buddies, Deer Meat for Dinner, is in town right now. He's got a special guest with him, a guy named Dayton Weber, uh, and he got on the board this morning uh, out at the Carnathan track. So congratulations to Dayton. He's an amazing uh, person, professional cornhole player. Uh, I would I would add. So he's on the board. So way to go, Dayton. I got uh, to meet him yesterday. Yeah, he, he's he amazing. A, he really is very I, inspiring. Just, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell you more about Dayton. If you get a chance, just look on online for for Dayton Weber and check this guy's story out. He's an amazing guy. Uh, number two, I've got three today. Uh, my buddy, my nephew, uh, Cash Watson. He's on the board with a 120 pound doe. All right, uh, Cash. Which, yeah, Cash in the house. And lastly, we can't forget the wives of the crew. Anna Rayleigh, Jess's wife, is on the board. Uh, so congratulations to Anna. We appreciate you putting up with Jess and harvesting. Yeah, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. putting up with Jess. The deer hunt is kind of good. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Congrats Good to job, her. Anna. Good job, Anna. And uh, there's a huge deer that was taken uh, in North Mississippi a couple weeks ago. Um, Caroline Winters. Yeah, she um, sat right here. Yeah, that she sat is in a the, giant. That is she, hard for me to believe that. Deer she came sat in the studio a few months ago while her mom, uh, Jessica Crawford, was talking to us all about like Native American artifacts and things like that. It was a fascinating podcast. Well, Caroline uh, is a student at Mississippi State in wildlife, and uh, she was doing some quail stuff with Mark McConnell. Uh, but look at this buck. She won a contest. Uh, they thought they scored it at like low 180s, and it was uh, it was scored at 191. That is a giant yeah. whitetail. Yeah. And y'all are sure this deer came from North Mississippi? Suddenly yeah, it was killed in the North Delta. Okay, so I'm not going to okay. get any more specific okay, than that, that. That makes me feel better. It's it's incredible. And, yeah. uh, wow! Congrats to her. And then I've got one. My nephew from uh, over near Montgomery. Uh, look at this picture, Lanny. Now that is awesome right there. Hayes Spigner. That's what his first deer's eight point. He was so excited. Now, that's a smile up. right there. Look at him get on that OG Mossy Oak logo shirt. That yeah. is awesome right and there. And he's got an older brother named Hudson. Hudson, they were sitting together and so they've got to experience that together. So that's that's just just really good. So I love blood on the biologic, especially when we talk about youngsters killing killing. Yeah, some deer. and and send your photos to us. Yeah, uh, hashtag them blood do. on the biologic, and and we'll be looking for them. All right, guys. Well, this was kind of run long. I think we probably ought to wrap it on up. And uh, Richie, anything else we need to do? Don't believe they're there, Mr. Cole. Okay, that's good. All right, well, uh, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.